listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. I have a lot that uh, is on my heart, so here's what I'm going to say. I, I'm going to go fast today. I have a lot of stuff that I'm going to cover, so you might have to listen back or watch back on our YouTube channel or on our podcast And I say that because, you know, we're in this series, it's called Stand, and we're talking about how do we stand in a culture that bows or in a culture that demands that we bow. In week one, we talked about culture's agenda, how culture is not neutral, it has an agenda, and it's being um, motivated by our spiritual enemy. Last week, we talked about how when we stand, we're going to be put through the fire. And though we talked about how we will come through the fire on the other side, uh, today I want to talk specifically about how, what do we do while we're in the fire? And so today we're going to talk about spiritual warfare. Here's what happened, and I'm going to share this story a little bit later. Uh, you know, as I've been uh, teaching on this and preparing for this series, uh, we, I'm choosing to, to, to stand for, um, for God's word. And by doing so, put it, we put a little bit of a target on our back when we stand for God's word. And so this past week, I actually stayed a couple days in the hospital, and I stayed overnight in the hospital because the enemy tried to attack me and my family. And a little bit later on, I'm going to share that story. And so everything that I'm sharing today is, uh, please know, it's something that I had to live this past week. I'm not just coming up here and giving you a good pep talk. My, my desire today is to stir our spirits and to prepare us for what the enemy is going to bring against us. Now is not the time for the church to be soft. Now is not the time for the church to bow down. Now is not the time for the church to do whatever culture is doing. Now is the time for the church to shine brighter than it's ever shown before. But the only way we're going to do that is if we understand spiritual warfare. Because it's great to say, I'm going to stand. But then whenever life actually happens and the enemy attacks you or your family... Will you truly know how to stand? Will you truly be able to withstand the fire that the enemy wants to put you into? So let's get into it today. Here's what I want us to know. I'm going to hop into it. I'm going to go quick. It's dangerous in the spiritual realm. Okay, listen to this. It's dangerous to live on a battlefield, right? I think we all could agree on that. It'd be dangerous to live on a battlefield, okay? But it's more dangerous to live on a battlefield and not know that there's a battle taking place. It's dangerous to live on a battlefield, correct. But it is more dangerous to live on a battlefield and not know that there is a battle taking place, right? If it was your house and you lived, I just, I don't know why, but I think, you know, back in the Civil War, if you were out somewhere and you just were walking across your field, but you didn't know that there were two enemies on either side of the field shooting at each other, you're going to be in trouble, right? We need to know what is going on around us in the spiritual realm. And here's what we need to understand. Every follower of Jesus on earth is involved in a high-stakes spiritual war. Every follower of Jesus on earth is involved in a high-stakes spiritual war, and that's point number one. You are in a war. Whether you signed up for it or not, I don't know if you knew it or not, but today I'm telling you, you are in it. If you call yourself a believer, if you call yourself a Christian, guess what? You're in, okay? And so you better know how to stand. You better know how to go to war in the spiritual realm. Otherwise, we will leave our, live our whole lives defeated. And if we live our whole lives defeated, we're just going to look like the rest of the world. That's not what God's called us to do. If we're truly going to stand and if we're truly going to shine, what we have to do is learn how to win in the war that we're in. 
You were in a war. Let's look at this. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. It says this. He writes, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Verse 13, Therefore, take up the whole. Everyone say whole. Come on, say it like you mean it. Whole whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. In order to stand in a culture that demands that we bow, in order to stand whenever spiritual um, beings come against you, I have to stand in the armor of God, in the armor of God. And we're going to show, I'm going to show you today, the armor of God is not a passive thing. We, I think many times we think the armor of God is just like a, uh, it's a thing that we put on so that nothing will hurt us. The armor of God is actually something that we put on spiritually so that we can be on the offense. It's not something so we can put it on and go hide in a corner somewhere. That's not the armor of God. God has given you his armor, as we talked about in our covenant series. It's not just random pieces. It's actually his armor he's put on you so that you can do work on his behalf, not just go sit on the couch somewhere and hope the devil never touches me. No, it's so that when I get thrown into the fiery furnace, as we talked last week, I can go in and I can be at peace knowing God is with me and I will come out the other side unburnt and not even smelling like smoke. Let's go back to verses 10, uh, 10, 11, and 12 right here. It says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. He goes through, put on the whole armor of God. There's four things that we see here. Principalities, powers, rulers, and hosts. There's four things. Before I get to that, let me say this. In verse 11, what we see here is he says, put on the armor. Who's he talking to? You. He's saying you put on the armor. He's not saying, hey, um, me, like God, I am in a spiritual war. He's saying you are in a spiritual war. You need to put on the armor so that you'll be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. I love the New King James, the, the wiles of the devil. That means this, the tactics and the methods of the enemy. Here's one thing we have to see. We're going to get to this in a second. The enemy, uh, he's foolish, yes, but he's also organized. He's also organized. And this is what we see in the four things. Principalities. Here's what we're going to look at. When we see these four things, we're actually, he's laying out the four levels of demonic powers in our world. Four levels. The first one is this, the principalities. You can go ahead and put up the definition. Principalities. This is defined as ancient or ancient ones. Ancient or ancient ones. This is the highest ranking demonic powers. Okay, they've been in leadership for a long time, hence the, the translation, ancient or ancient ones. They've been in leadership for a very long time. This is the generals of the demonic, uh, the demonic army, basically, the generals. They strategize. So a little bit later on in the series, we're going to talk about Daniel in the lion's den. What happens? Daniel is a righteous man. Uh, you could say a righteous boy, right? He's a, he's a young man. He's a righteous man. He, they, the enemy can't get him to trip up or to, to, um, to go against his God. And so what does he have to do? He has to go and he has to trick the king. And this is principality's job. The principalities are at a high level, and we'll look at this in just a second. They're at a high level manipulating from a, uh, manipulating, let me say it like this, countries, cities, states. They're looking for humans that they can use to do their bidding. And they're looking for all they need is an open door. They're called the ancient ones because they've been around for centuries. They've been around for a long time. 
And so there may be countries that you know of that you think, man, how come this country is always in disaster? How come this country is so corrupt? How can this country not get things figured out no matter how much help, no matter how much aid it gets? How can it not figure it out? Because spiritually, there is a principality that is ruling over that's saying, no, these are my puppets. And I am going to control them to keep them here where I want them to be. Principalities is the first one. We'll come back to it in just a second. So they, they strategize and they make traps for people to fall into. The second one is powers. This is translated delegated power. Powers, delegated power. So they, they, these guys are given the power to attack and to distract. A way you can look at these guys is almost like the, the special forces of the demonic army. These guys are strategic. They're on mission. They have some smarts because they want to, um, they have power, but they, they also have a little bit of uh, of wisdom, if you will, because they want to trick people by distraction. Trick people by distraction. Let's go to the third one is this, rulers. Rulers, this is raw power, is how it's translated, raw power. The rulers here, this is where it gets interesting, and this is where we begin to see the levels, because otherwise we think those are just four categories. There's actually levels. The rulers, uh, they're not known for their smarts, per se, but they're known more for just their raw power. So a great example of this is in Mark chapter 5, we see Jesus encounters this wild man, right? And there's this wild man that everyone knows about, and he's out there, and they try to chain him up, but he, he's a human that can break chains, that can be, break anything that binds him. He cuts himself. He's covered in blood and feces and all this stuff. He's just wild. What is it? It's raw power that he is possessed with. That is an example of the rulers. The third one is this, hosts in the heavenly places, Hosts in the heavenly places, this is defined as bad, vile, vicious, malignant. This is where um, I would say probably we encounter these the most on a regular basis. And I'll show you this. Hosts in the heavenly places, they are, in, it says, basically in the atmosphere. Because in Ephesians 2, it says that Satan, our enemy, he is the prince of the power of the air. Prince of the power of the air. Interesting. Why the air? Why atmosphere? Why? Um, if we really look at the original language, the word angel can actually be translated as messenger. Many times it can be translated as messenger in the original language. And so this is where it gets interesting. Let's look at a story or an example from Daniel. Uh, we'll look at Daniel chapter 10. In this story, we see Daniel, he has been praying and he's praying for God to give him an answer. He's praying and he's, man, he is waiting out. He's been praying for over 20 days. He's been praying for this answer. And finally, an angel shows up to Daniel. And here's where we're going to pick up. In Daniel chapter 10, starting in verse 12, we can put it on the screen. It says this, and he said, this is the angel speaking. He says, don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you begin to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before our God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer. But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, archangels, he came to help me and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. So there's a few things here. Let's look at this. The first one is this. The angel came, the angel responded immediately after Daniel prayed. Since the first day you began to pray. That's when God heard and God sent the answer. Let us not, let this remind us of how true God's word is. God, when we pray, his word says that when we pray in agreement with his word, he what? He hears us. And if he hears us, we can be sure that he answers us, right? First John, 
That's what it says. This is an Old Testament example of the same principle. That's how good our Father is. When I pray in alignment with his will, what's his will? It's this thing. That's why you got to know this thing. We need to know his word. When I pray in agreement with this, he hears me, guaranteed. He, and his, what's his heart's desire? When I pray in agreement with his will, his heart's desire is to send the answer, not a year from now, when I pray. But here's what happens. We're in a spiritual war. What did, Daniel, what did the angel say to Daniel? <laughs> but for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked me. Spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. What is that? It's a principality. He's a prince. So he's not just a host in the heavenly places. He's actually a principality that has been reigning over the kingdom of Persia and allowing them, showing them, leading them, and guiding them to do some evil things. He's an evil principality. And when he knew, <laughs> when he knew that Daniel was going to get an answer, he showed up and he said, I don't think so. But this is where it's encouraging with God. It says that, but Michael was sent to get me through. Here's the, here's the encouraging thing, right? Some angels deliver messages and some angels just kick butt, okay? Can we be real? They just show up to kick butt and that's our God. He's equipped for everything we need in the natural and in the spiritual. He says, I got that answer for you, Daniel. But then when there was some hindrance, what happened? I can take care of that as well. I'll show up, I'm gonna kick some butt and we'll get the answer to Daniel. It may not have happened on Daniel's timetable, right? But did Daniel lose heart? No, he continued to pray. So when you pray and nothing happens, don't despair. Don't despair. Do not lose heart. Keep your faith and pray it through. It may take longer, but when I know what's happening in the spiritual realm, I can pray with some confidence that that answer comes to me. But if I don't know what's happening in the spiritual realm, I'll pray and a day will go by or a week will go by or a year will go by and I don't get my answer and I'll think, well, I guess it just wasn't God's will. Even if I prayed according to his will. So what do I do? I stop praying. And when I stop praying, I cut off the lifeline to my answer getting to me. I lose my faith. You with me? Why is this important? We need to realize, why is it important to realize that we're in a, in a battle here, in a war? We need to understand that the enemy in our war is organized and he's structured and he's ready to fight. He's organized, he's structured, and he's ready to fight. I'm not saying that to put, and I, this should not put any fear in you of the enemy. If it does, that's him trying to raise his ugly head at you, Okay. He's a wimp. <laughs> we'll talk about him in just a second. He's a wimp. He's structured. He's organized. He's ready to fight, but he's also foolish. He overplays his hand time and time again. Time and time again. But this is why I need to say those things. If I don't know that he's organized, he's structured, and he's ready to fight, this is exactly why lukewarm, half-hearted Christians continually get their butt kicked in life. Here's why. Because the demons are more committed to spiritual warfare than they are. Let me say it again. The reason half-hearted, lukewarm Christians continually get their butt kicked in life 
is because the demons are more committed to spiritual warfare than they are. Faith without works is dead, right? The book of James says, oh, you believe in God, great. Even the demons believe in God. What are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? When you know that you've got a group of demonic and spiritual beings that hate your guts and want to destroy your family, it should drastically change my prayer life. Amen. Right? Yes. If I know that's true, if I know that's coming against me, if I know that's coming against my marriage, if I know that's coming against my kids, that should drastically change my prayer life. Man, here's the second thing we're going to talk about is this. You have an enemy. So we're in a war, okay? You have an enemy. Let's talk about him for a second. You have an enemy. Our enemy is the devil, <laughs> if you didn't know it. Spoiler alert. <laughs> he's the devil. He's a liar and he's a deceiver, okay? There is a real devil, yes, and he hates your guts, yes. And I'm not going to talk about him to glorify him today. No, I want to talk about him because I want to show you how shrimpy and how wimpy he actually is. And I'm going to show you how to defeat him. How do we walk in victory? You have an enemy. Let's look at a few verses and then we'll break it down. The first one is this. John 10, 10 says, The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. Those three things. So if you see those things happening in your life, don't point the finger at God. We know where the attacks are coming from. If these things, something's being stolen from me, something's killed in my life, something's destroyed in my life, it's not God. We have an enemy who hates your guts. You're in a spiritual war. Here's, here's the fruit of his labor. This is what he wants to do. John 8, says this, when he, this is talking about the, uh, the devil, when he lies, it is consistent with his character, <laughs> for he is a liar and the father of lies, and the father of lies, hmm. meaning this, that's all he can do. That's all he can do. If he's running his mouth, he's lying. When he shows up and he tries to tell you you're not good enough, when he shows up and he tries to give you uh, anxiety, when he shows up and he tries to give you that, that spirit of sickness, when he shows up and he tries to tell you that you'll always be that way, that you're too fat, that you're, you're not good enough, all those things, if he's running his mouth, he's lying. This is why, though, I have to know God's word. If I don't know God's word, I don't know when the enemy's running his mouth. Because this is truth. What he's saying is lying. How can I know a lie if I don't know the truth? See what I'm saying? Too many people don't know their Bible. So when the enemy starts running his mouth, they think, well, God just made me that way. It's just God's will for me to live with this. And they just begin to back down and live in defeat. Now, we're called to stand. 1 Peter 5, 8 says this, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, he walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Seeking whom he may devour. I love that because may, we talk about this quite a bit, may means this, he needs permission. He needs permission, seeking whom he may devour. Whew, you guys with me? Here we go. The enemy fights with lies and deception. We've talked about this before, but I'm going to talk about this again because we need to understand this. Because when you're in the battle, you tend to forget the things that we talk about if, you're, if you haven't truly soaked it into your heart you will forget the things that you think, oh yeah, I know that. But when the battle is actually raging, I'll get to that in a second. The enemy fights with lies and deception. The enemy is a liar and he's a deceiver because he can't push around, and he knows this, he can't push around a believer who is sold out and fully submitted to God's word. 
He's a liar and he's a deceiver because he can't push around believers who are sold out and fully committed to God's word, who he may devour. He can push around believers who aren't sold out to God's word all day long. Lies and deception. It's just like, it's just like any sports team. Take football, for example, right? When the football team starts to do all the trick plays, it means they're desperate. That's, what the, that's how the devil lives his life. He's desperate for a win. And so all he can do is trick plays to try to get ahead, to try to get a yard on you, to try to score a touchdown on you. That's all he can do. The devil loves to fight his battles in your thoughts. This is the first place lies and deception will come. Right here. The battlefield of the mind. He wants to come right here to your thoughts. We talked about this a few weeks ago, right? The, the if you, oh man, I'm getting sidetracked. He wants to start here. Let me just stay with that. He'll say this. Who do you think you are? You're not good enough. You're too old. You're too young. You'll always be sick. It just runs in your family. This is just a part of life. God made you this way. He's going to run his mouth, but it will all start right here. But as a man believes in his heart, so is he. In order for it to get from here to here, it's got to stop off at the mouth. Right? So what am I saying? When the thoughts come, it's no wonder God's word says take every thought, not some thoughts, take every thought captive. Because when the thoughts come, am I allowing them to come out of my mouth? If I am, it will come into my heart, I will believe it, and so I will be. The good news is this <laughs> about your enemy. He only lies. And our job, I stole this from somebody else, but let me say it again. Our job is to doubt his doubt. Does that make sense? Our job is to doubt his doubt. He wants to show up and give you thoughts of doubt that contradict God's word. And so my job is to let this come out of my mouth. Devil, I doubt your doubt. I doubt it. That's not true. You say this, God's word says this. I believe God's word. I have to be equipped, though, to know what, what is contradictory to the, the lies of the enemy. So he works with lies and deception. The other way is this. The devil works with consent and cooperation. Consent and cooperation. This is where it gets personal. He works with consent and cooperation. The only way the enemy can defeat you is if he can get you to agree with him rather than to agree with God's word. The only way, that, man, that should be so encouraging for every one of us in here today. The only way he can defeat you is if he can get you to agree with him rather than to agree with God's word. He's powerless against you unless you hand him over the power. Can I say that again? He's powerless against you unless you hand him over the power. We have to stop handing him over our victory. Too many believers, when things come, it's just a part of life. This happens, whatever. They hand him over the power immediately, and he runs with it. Rather than stop it at the door, soon as he comes knocking with whatever it is, am I, am I equipped to battle against him? If not, he's going to keep knocking, and he's going to force his way into my life. The third thing is this. You have authority. You have authority. This is where it starts to get good, okay? <laughs> You're in a war. So you better know what's going on. You have an enemy. Yeah, he's strategic, but he's foolish. And you have authority to kick his butt. Let's talk about it. I'm going to say a statement here. I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. I'm going to give you a few old, an Old Testament and a New Testament example of back, that backs us up. But let me say this, okay? And just hear me out. Praying to God 
in the face of a demonic attack is a wasted exercise. Let me say it again. Think about it for a second. Praying to God in the face of a demonic attack is a wasted exercise. Now before you, you know, you know, get up and walk out and be all offended, let me talk about this for a second. Many times we're waiting on God to move, but God is waiting on man to move. Many times we're waiting on God to move, but God's waiting on us to move. God is saying to us, I've equipped you with the most powerful weapon in the universe, like ever, okay? I need, he's saying, I need you to know it, believe it, and do something with it. But too many times, we're, we, we, and guilty of this, things come up in life, and we begin to complain, and we begin to bellyache about all the things, and woe is me, and God, why did you? And God's saying, I already did. Now I need you to take the next step, right? We talk about it like the, sea, the, the, the seesaw, the teeter-totter, right? God is saying, I've done my part. Now I'm waiting for you to do your part so that I can do my next part. And we can walk together like this. We can, we can actually engage together. But too many times, people are complaining, waiting for God to, to move miraculously in their life. Take marriage for an example. They want God to heal their marriage. But are they doing anything? Am I taking out the trash when my wife asked me to? Or am I forgetting? Right? I did that this past week. Guilty. Forgot. Okay? <laughs> I own up to it. I was wrong. Man, I'm sorry. And then I apologize, right? I'm sorry. Wasn't thinking. But are, are you doing anything about it? Or is it just, God, I'm waiting for you to heal my marriage. But you're treating your spouse like a jerk. You haven't done anything to go out of your way to, to be nice to your spouse. You haven't even told your spouse you love them. You haven't even just hugged them, just to hug them for months. Are you doing your part? Right? Let me show you. Old Testament example. This is Exodus. This is when Moses is leading the children of Israel. They just were freed from Egypt. They're walking. They come up against the Red Sea. Here they are. Their enemy is bearing down behind them. They have the Red Sea in front of them. All hope seems lost. They got freed for a brief moment. Now they're going to be slaughtered by the Egyptians, right? Let's look at it. Uh, And and, uh, Moses is complaining. The people are complaining to Moses. And then the Lord says to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward, but lift up your rod, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. (laughs) We have a good father. And what I love about our good father is that he's perfect in how he corrects us and teaches us. So easy to cry, God, woe is me. Why are you doing this? When he's saying, why are you crying to me? I've given you access to victory. Have you done your part? Now, if you've done your part, we're going to get to that in a second. There's a different side to that. But many times we have yet to take our step and do our part. I love what he says to Moses. Why do, why do you cry to me? Why? I told you, go forward. Stretch out your rod, your hand, and then I'll do my part. Do you see the teeter-totter? God's freed them. Why do you cry to me? Moses has to do his part, which is the natural seems so foolish. I'm going to stretch out my hand, my rod, right? When he does his part, did Moses part the sea? No. 
God can now part the sea. Do you see it? Many times we want God to do everything, but ain't no fun doing a teeter-totter like this. You know what I'm saying? You with me? It ain't no fun when you're doing teeter-totter by yourself. God's saying, I need you to do your part so I can do my part. Let's walk together. Let's be in community together. Let's be in relationship together. That's intimacy with our God. That's intimacy with our God. Here's the New Testament. Matthew 16, 19. He's talking about his church, how he will build his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Here's what this shows me, okay? When it comes to the act of saying no to the devil, that's my responsibility. Do you hear me? When it comes to the act of saying no to the devil, no, you will not touch my life. No, you will not touch my kids. No, you will not touch my job. No, you will not touch my marriage. To the act of saying no, that's my job. Why? Because Jesus has given his disciples keys to the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, I'm entrusting you to steward the kingdom while I'm gone. I've given you the keys. Go do something about it. Go do something about it. The last point is this. You can walk in victory. You can walk in victory. Yeah, you're in a war. Yes, you have an enemy, but there's nothing to fear because you have authority and you can walk in victory. Come on, somebody. You can walk in victory. When you walk in agreement to God's word, the victory is already yours because here's the good news about the war that we're in. We win because Jesus won. We win because Jesus won. We don't fight for victory, we fight from victory. There's this old story about this old, it's an old West story, and I can't remember where I first heard it, otherwise I'd give them credit. This father and son, they were caught in this wildfire, and it kind of blew up onto them uh, unexpectedly, and they're in this wildfire, and as they're going through it, the father looks and he sees a spot, and he says, come with me, but they have to step close to the flames. He says, come with me, stand with me, and if we will stand right here, the fire won't hurt us. But the son is freaking out. The son's saying, no, we need to run from the fire. But the problem is the fire is being blown at such a rapid pace that if they were to run, the fire would catch them. And so the father says, stand with me. He says, we're too close to the flames. He says, stand with me. Trust me, son. Stand with me. And they stand together and the flames come all around them, but it doesn't touch them. And the fire burns past them. And the son looks to his dad and he says, Dad, how did you know to stand there? And his dad said, because that place had already been burned. It wasn't going to burn again. Do you see the picture? Jesus already been through the fire. He went to the cross. Let us not forget his benefits. He forgives all of our sins. He heals all of our diseases. He's already been. All we have to do is stand on the rock, which is him. And though the fire may come around me, he says, will you stand with me, son, because this is a safe spot. It may get close, but it'll pass. That's what it means to fight from victory. Doesn't mean the fire's not real. Doesn't mean the fire's not hot. It just means I know where to stand when the fire comes. Come on, somebody. Ephesians 6.10 says, Be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. Our strength isn't enough. We must tap into the authority and the power of God. So for the action steps today, I'm going to give you five, okay? It's at the bottom of your thing. Five. 
First one is this, how do we walk in victory? First one is very simple, you need to pray. You need to pray. How much time am I, am I committing to prayer? James 5.16 says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and it produces wonderful results. If you're facing a trial in your life, if you're facing a fire in your life, if you're facing something, guess what? This is why we're gathering together in the month of September on Wednesdays to pray together. If we think uh, that prayer is a waste of time, if I think I can't give up an hour to pray with people in the prayer of agreement for something God wants to do in my life, man, I'm missing it. Prayer is everything. Prayer is life and death. The second thing is this, the word of God. You need to be in God's word every single day. Every single day. Don't miss it. Am I spending more time in other books? Am I spending more time other places? I'm not bashing other books per se. I'm just saying this, the word of God is the only book that is actually alive, somebody. It's the only book that will set you free. You can get a great self-help book. You can get a great book that, you know, will give you tips for your marriage. It'll give you a great help book that'll help you overcome your addiction to pornography. But this is the only one that will set you free, somebody. This is the only one that will bring healing to you and your family. You gotta know this thing. You gotta be in this thing. You have to love this thing. The third one is church. You gotta be in church. <laughs> you sound elementary, but if these, we would do these basic principles, these basic disciplines, God could move. First Corinthians 5, 4, he says, you must call a meeting of the church. I'll be present with you in spirit. And look at this. And so will the power of our Lord Jesus. We need to be in church. The average church attendance in America is one in every four to six weeks. But we still think we go to church. That ain't going to church. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. We like to quote that and, and say that's a promise for us. But in order for me to claim that promise, I got to be part of the church. I can't be isolated and say, well, the gates of hell won't prevail against me. That's not what it says. The church, it won't prevail against the church. Am I in? Am I an active member? Am I a part of what God is doing? There's a million, excuse, a million excuses out there, but... God's word don't lie. His word says what? The enemy walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. What do lions do? Lions prey on the weak, the sick, and the isolated. When I'm not in a group of community of believers and I isolate myself, I'm setting myself up for spiritual attack from my enemy. I shouldn't be surprised when he comes. I gotta be in church. Four is this, I need to worship. I need to worship. Psalm 8:2. you have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. Can I tell you this? The worship of babies makes our enemy tuck tail and run. The worship of infants makes our enemy tuck tail and run. That's how powerful worship is. That's why when we have your kids across the hall, we're not babysitting, okay? Pastor Parker, our team over there, my wife Leslie, we're teaching them the principles of God's word. We worship together every week. We're teaching them how to worship. Why? Because when the enemy comes for them, and he will, they need to know how to worship because it'll send the enemy running the opposite way. The last one is this. You need to pray in the spirit. You need to pray in the spirit. Acts 1.8 says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. If you don't know much about having a, a prayer language, about praying in the spirit, about praying in tongues, I've done two messages. Go back on our podcast, go to our prayer series. I did a message there. Go back to our Holy Spirit series. You can find it on the podcast. Listen to those messages. You need to pray in the spirit every day. 
Not some days, every day. You need to pray in the Spirit every single day. As I wrap up, let me tell you this story from this past week. Last Monday, Mondays are my day off. Leslie and I are hanging out together, enjoying our Sabbath. We're watching a movie. I begin to get lightheaded. My chest, I got chest pains. My heart's racing. None of this has ever happened to me before. I'm like, what's going on? I get up, I walk around for a little bit. I get a drink of water. Five, 10 minutes kind of goes away. Feel pretty good. Still have some chest discomfort. So I'm like, ah, you know, I'll sleep it off. Feel better tomorrow. Wake up on Tuesday, still have some chest discomfort. And so I'm like, I'm just going to go in. I'm just going to go to urgent care. They'll give me checkup. Tell me to calm down. Give me some, you know, some pills or something. They'll make me calm and send me home. And they almost did. I go to, <laughs> go to urgent care. They hook me up to the EKG, testing my heart. And it comes back abnormal. She almost sent me home, but she goes to get a second opinion. And um, it was abnormal, not crazy abnormal, but abnormal enough where she said, you need to take, this, take some aspirin and go to ER right now. Okay, that's not how my Tuesday, I thought my Tuesday was gonna go. Take some aspirin. Probably the first time I've ever taken aspirin in my life. <laughs> take some aspirin, I'm driving. I call Leslie. Hey, they're sending me to the ER. All I know is I have an abnormal EKG. I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> and I go in course they tell me I got chest pain they bring me right in and they're testing me for everything right heart attack uh, stroke uh, all, the, all the stuff they draw blood they give me x-rays they do the ultrasound on my heart all this stuff and of course with COVID going on I can't have any visitors till I get a negative COVID test and so I'm sitting in this grungy little ER room <laughs> with the lights half off for six or seven hours by myself not getting any word from, is this, am I okay? Or could I die at any second? And in those moments, the spirit of fear, God's word calls it a spirit of fear for a reason, because we're in a spiritual war. The spirit of fear came and it tried to consume my room. Thoughts, worst thoughts I could imagine. I'll never see Gavin again. I'm, I'll never be on this stage ever again. I'll never see Leslie ever again. I'm by myself in this room, and if you've been in one of those situations, you know this feeling. All I could do was worship and pray in the Spirit. I didn't have the words. I had a few verses that I could utter, but the Spirit of fear tried to consume me so much, all I could do was praying in the Spirit. And you know when you were kids, when you would play with magnets and you first, you know, started playing with magnets and, and it like, when you saw them suck them together, it's so cool, right? You try to get as much stuff stuck to it. But then it was even cooler whenever you would flip it around and you could like chase another magnet, you know, because you flipped it the opposite way and it would, that little force field and it would push the other magnet away. That's, God gave me this picture. That's what praying in the spirit does supernaturally for you in the spiritual realm. When I prayed in the spirit, I sensed the spirit of fear and I'm, you know me, I'm not, I'm not flaky weird. I'm being real with you here. This is real stuff. The spirit of fear was all around my room, not at the door. I could feel it almost in the ceiling tiles, but it didn't touch my room because I prayed in the spirit and God said, it's like you're, you have created a force field around you to keep it from touching you. 
as soon as I would stop, my room was consumed. And it would almost send me into an anxiety or panic attack because of how deep that fear was. I have to go right back to it. Look, I'm not telling, if you've never prayed in the spirit before or if you've seen some weird stuff when it comes to praying in the spirit, don't let it freak you out. It's powerful. I, this is not the first time that praying in the spirit has saved my life or my family's life or Gavin's life. They keep me overnight. The next day they run me on stress tests. I'm on the, you know, the treadmill. They're testing me. They do another ultrasound in my heart, more blood work, another EKG. Doctor comes in. Finally, I get some reports and she says, look, everything looks good. She says, your heart is strong. Your lungs look fantastic. Blood works perfect. Why, we don't know why you have an abnormal EKG. That's concerning. We've had three abnormal EKGs. So I'm like, what, could stress? I'm just stressed out. She says, well, it's not gonna affect your EKG. She said, I can't give you an answer why that's that way. And I said, give me one more. Give me one more. She goes, all right, I'll do some blood work too with the last one. The, the tech comes in, hooks me up, all the stickers everywhere. They hook me up, and she says, I mean, it's probably not going to change. She's saying this to me while she's hooking me up. Doctor comes back in just a little bit later, and she says, it normalized. It normalized. She said, your blood works perfect. And I said, well, what do you think? <laughs> she says, I don't know. I don't know how it could go three abnormal to a normal. Like, I don't know what changed. I said, well, I know what changed. <laughs> I said, we did a lot of praying in here. I did a lot of worship in here. I had a lot of people praying for me at home. And I said, my God is healer. And she said, yeah, give God a hand clap. Give God a hand clap. And she said, well, there you go. (laughs) She said, we're going to get you out of here. No restrictions. Got to follow up tomorrow. And I'm looking forward to it because I can't wait to see another doctor scratch his head at what God can do. Thankful for nurses and doctors. That's, please hear me. That's not what I'm saying. It's wisdom to go to the doctor, everybody. Come on. But God gets the glory. When you stand for God, the enemy will come for you. Don't be afraid. The enemy is afraid of you. Can I tell you that today? The enemy is afraid of you. He's afraid of your potential. He's afraid of your potential. And when he comes... <laughs> know that you can walk in victory. Every follower of Jesus on earth is involved in high stakes spiritual war. Our job is to stand in faith and in the whole armor of God. In faith, in the whole armor of God. The armor of God is not a passive protection from the enemy. It is to be used to offensively attack and destroy satanic forces. Let me say it again. The armor of God is not a passive protection from our enemy so I can run and hide. Please don't touch me. No, I suit up every day and I stand in faith because it's supposed to be used to offensively attack and to destroy satanic forces. Live our life every day. Don't go to bed spiritually without any blood on your sword. What did I do for the kingdom today? What ground did I take for the kingdom today? We gotta do some work. Don't be afraid to stand. Even when you get thrown in the fire, even when the enemy comes for you, don't be afraid. Fear will try to come, 
I gave you five things that you can do regularly, not just when you get attacked, regularly so that you can withstand it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your protection. Thank you that you are a healer. (laughs) You get all the glory. You are a healer. Thank you for your miraculous power. Lord, I thank you that you've equipped us to live this life in spiritual victory. You've equipped us to be here for such a time as this. You've equipped us with your armor so that we can walk in victory, not afraid of what's going on around us so that we can stand, we can stand in faith. And though the enemy may come, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. It has no right to touch us. It has no right to hinder us or to hold us back or to affect us or our families. We walk in perfect health. We walk in perfect peace. We walk in agreement with your word and your will. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially, or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out AbideChurch.com.